Hey everybody, this is Keith Loy. I'm the founding senior pastor of Celebrate Church in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and this is our podcast. I just want to say thank you for joining us, and it is my prayer that this week's message will truly encourage you. Enjoy. I tell you about three boys, three brothers, who after they graduated from high school went off on their own, and all three were quite successful amazingly successful and wanted to do something for their mother come Christmas. Well, they each made their plan and they got together and began to exchange what they had done. The first one said, you know, we grew up in a really ratty old home, you might remember, and I have, I've made such a fortune. I decided to do something to not only give my mother, our mother, the house of her dreams, I went beyond it. He showed him pictures and the plans, and I mean, it was an incredible home, an incredible estate. The second brother said, you know, this is going to seem like trivial, but let me explain it. You all know my relationship with Mercedes-Benz. Well, I called them up and said, I'd like to get the best car you have for mom, but it didn't stop there. Because of my relationship, I was able to pull a few uh, strings, and they made only one car just for her. And they put everything in it you can imagine. They're like, Wow way to go. He said, you know, we, we grew up with that old ratty old car, that just that clunker. Oh, she's going to love it. Third one was quite quiet for some time and finally said, you know, I don't mean to put you on the defense or to say what you did wasn't a big deal, but I think I got you beat. You know that mom loved the Bible. You know, she loved to read the Bible, but because of her age, she can't see very well. And I know she's been struggling because she can't read it. So I found this parrot. 12 years it had been in training by some of the top monks. And that Bible, has, that, or that parrot has learned every verse in the Bible. And all mom has to do, you can imagine how much this bird costs. All mom has to do is say the book she wants, the chapter and the verses, and that bird will read it to her. And they're like, wow, what a gift. That's awesome. Well, the week after Christmas, they'd done their gift giving, and the week after Christmas came the cards of Thanksgiving. Mom writing, Dear Gerald, I mean, I I know that you meant well. The house is beautiful, I think. (laughs) I mean, at my age, I can't even get around very well, and I've yet to see it all. And to be honest, I only live in one room. And so I I, want to thank you for the thought, probably a little more than I need. Dear Barry, Barry, I want to tell you, when you get to my age, you don't really drive much anymore. In fact, I've seen the car. I've yet to be in the car. It pretty much sits in the garage, and, and I just kind of keep to myself. And, but I appreciate your thought. It's very kind. My dearest Michael, the most thoughtful one, really. You knew exactly what Mama needed. Thank you. The chicken was delicious. <laughs> I say that to to ask you this. If money was not an object this Christmas, what would be your deepest longing, your deepest want? Is there something that you've always thought of and thinking, man, if I had no, it didn't matter what it would cost, 
What would that be for you? Now, I'm not saying to set you up or to make you look bad. I only say that to say this. I know what it was for the people of Israel that first Christmas. If money was no object and they could buy that one thing that they had longed for, do you know what it would have been? To hear their God say something. And maybe you're going, what am I... What am I talking about? You see, the last time that God's people, before Jesus came, they heard the voice of God that we know of is at the end of the book of Malachi. And for 400 years, they had not heard God say one thing. No prophecy, not one word. 400 years of silence. You think your spouse knows the silent treatment. (laughs) See, I say that because I hear this in the church. Even as, as not just a pastor, but I've heard it around with others who I'm not even their pastor. They'll say something like this. You know, I I tried that Jesus thing. Uh, I, I prayed and he didn't answer my prayer. 400 years. They had not heard one thing from their God. And if money wasn't an object and they could buy that one thing, the nation of Israel would have said, just say something. 400 years. Until now. If you got your Bibles, I want you to go to Luke chapter 1. If you're a guest, I want to share with you, we've been in a series called How the Grinch Stole Christmas. And Some people might ask, why would you use that? Why would you use a Dr. Seuss, a a secular story to try to communicate the gospel? Well, probably because of two things. First of all, you need to know that we don't do creativity to try to be cool. I believe creativity is one of God's gifts to people. And I'm just one of those people that, I, I know people that are Christians that say, we can't, you can't do the things of the world and bring it in the church. Well, then it's going to be pretty hard for you and I to go to church because none of us are perfect, which means there's part of the world in all of us. See, I just believe this. I could care less what the devil's taken. I like to take him back and give him to God and it'll never be the same. And I know this, that so many people, if not everybody has seen whether it's the Hollywood version with Jim Carrey, the one that we're showing here, or, or the cartoon one that was done so many years ago over the multiple decades. I think we've all seen how the Grinch stole Christmas. We know the story. Before you pass it off as some Hollywood or some man-made version, you need to know my Bible says there is a Grinch. And he comes to steal, he comes to kill, and he comes to destroy. And he hates Christmas. And I think that there's a lot in this that we can learn from. You see, we're talking about the Christmas story probably from a different angle that doesn't get a lot of attention. Mostly we talk about the kings and the wise men and all of that. But we forget there's other characters that I think are significant to the Christmas story and we need to talk about them. We talked about Herod. And I only simply say this, if you haven't heard that message, you need to go back and listen to it. I can't speak for you, but there's a little Herod, I think, in me at times. We talked about the innkeeper that doesn't get a lot of attention, and what's interesting, and he doesn't even exist anyway. 
And yet we keep writing him into all the Christmas plays, but there was no innkeeper. There's nowhere in the Bible that says there was an innkeeper. All we know is there's just no room in the inn. We don't know where that information came or how. But I think that was significant because I think there is an innkeeper in the story and it's you and I. I wonder if we still don't make room. But now we're going to talk about a little priest from a little village. His name's Zechariah. I love the story, but let me set it up. During this time at the first Christmas that we know of, there was roughly 20,000 priests. Two weeks out of every year, depending what time of the year it is, a priest would go on duty only for two weeks. They would make their way to Jerusalem and they would fulfill the work that they need to do inside the temple of God. But out of those 20,000 priests, every now and then, you were the privileged one. You got to go into the Holy of Holies. Now listen to this carefully. In a priest's lifetime, they would only get the opportunity to do that once. And most priests would never get to do it. And this was Zachariah's moment. A once in a lifetime moment to be the head priest to go in and to offer the sacrifice to God. Now, why do I say that? Because I want to say two things to set up this message before we look at the scriptures. First of all, you need to understand this. To get to be in the house of God is a big deal. Church should not be an option or a lesser option unless I get to do something better. But if I don't, then I'll go to church. I think the Grinch has been wreaking havoc on God's people in this country. One of the Ten Commandments is thou shall keep the Sabbath day holy. It ain't your day, it's God's day. He gave you six others, figure it out. If that offends, I'm here to tell you it's because the Grinch has done a number on us. To be in the house of God is a big deal. And we should consider Sunday morning or going to church as a a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. That's how we should come into the house of God. But do you know why? I think we've made it a lesser and don't understand how sacred it is to God to be in his house. See, I would say this, whether you like our current president or you like the former or not, or you're choosing to vote for a new president, I will tell you this, regardless of what it is, if you went home and in the mailbox was an invitation for you to come out, everything paid for, all expense, and you get to go into the Oval Office, I think I could argue the fact, if you were really being honest, you'd take that chance and grab a hold of that because very few people ever get to. That's a once in a lifetime opportunity. And yet I contend being in church today would be greater than that if you even had that opportunity. I'd rather be in this office, his office, than the Oval any day. That's awful quiet. And maybe why the Grinch is stealing Christmas from this country. But do you know why I think that happens? Because we don't know who we are. See, we're talking about Zachariah, and you might go, well, he's a priest. Well, guess what? Because of Christmas 2,000 years ago, you and I are priests too. My Bible says when he died, he tore the curtain, the veil, 
and opened up because of Jesus dying for our sins. We all become priests and now we all get to go into the Holy of Holies. It's a beautiful thing, but we don't know that. We don't understand that. And so I want you to look what the Bible says. This is the word of God. I can't make you believe it. I do. And the Bible says in 1 Peter, look what it says. We are a chosen race because of Jesus, a royal what? Priesthood. Look at someone right now and say, I'm a priest. Come on, look at him and say, you a priest. Look what the Bible says. We are a royal priesthood, a people for his own possession. And here's why, to proclaim the excellencies of God. I didn't get saved just so I get to go home one day. I got saved that one day I'll be home, but while I'm here now passing through this cesspool called planet Earth, I get to proclaim the excellencies of God. I'm not just a child of God, I am a royal priest of God. Paul says we're ambassadors of God. How will they know if someone doesn't stand up and tell them? We are priests. And so this story isn't just about Zachariah, it's about us. And so I'm in Luke chapter 1, and I want to tell you three truths about this priest called Zechariah. And I think there are three truths about us, or all three should be, I fear it only two. And you'll understand in a moment. But just like last week, we're going to look at this as we walk through talking about these truths of this priest called Zechariah, this priest of which you and I are supposed to be. And we're going to look at this story. So if you got your notes, take them out. I want to tell you the first thing the Bible says. He was a faithful priest. Say it with me. He was a faithful priest. Again, if you got your Bibles, Luke chapter 1, beginning in the fifth verse, here's what it says. When Herod was king of Judea, we talked about Herod two weeks ago, and again, I'm going to say, if you haven't heard that message, go back and listen. But I was kind in that message, but I want to go, if I will, just a moment deeper for you to understand what's going on, because don't pass that off that he was a faithful priest. This was the darkest time in the nation of Israel's life. For 400 years, it has been silence. And Herod's the worst of them all. Very common, history will tell you. Herod didn't do this in just, if you will, every so often. It was a common practice that Herod just decided for entertainment. He would just take women and children and families off the street, throw them into arena, and watch the lions rip them to pieces. He was a brutal, brutal man. And you say, why would I say that? Zechariah was a faithful priest. I'll read to you what it says here in a moment. But here's my question. But I'll make it first with a statement. I think being a Christian in this country is easy. But I wonder how many of you would name the name of Jesus if there was a gun in your head saying you will die if you do. It's 
so easy to be a follower of Jesus in this country, but around the world right now, there are people losing their lives because of the name of Jesus. There's a story that comes out of the whole Holocaust where in the nation of Germany, if you will, the country of Germany, where there was a group of Christians praying for something to end this ugly war and they were worshiping God inside the temple when the doors blew open and some German soldiers came in. They knew exactly what this meant. They went to the front and said, if you name the name of Jesus, we want you to stand up right now. Only a few did. They knew what it meant. And then the soldiers said, all of you that are still seated, you need to leave. And they went outside. The soldiers went back and closed the door. And they looked at the ones that stood up and said, oh, we just wanted to know where we're safe and we can worship with you. And while they continued to worship, they heard gunfire outside the church. In the darkest of times, would you really stand in the name of Jesus? There's a book out called The Book of Martyrs. It's an amazing book when you hear about people and what they did standing up for the name of Jesus. No greater love, you'd lay it down. If there's one thing I want my kids to know is this, is that your daddy loves Jesus. And I don't care what it costs me because that's the greatest gift I can give you. Everything else doesn't matter. You'll lose it anyway. It's called death. How about you? It's very important you don't miss this. For when Herod was the king, there was a Jewish priest who was righteous. His name was Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah. Look what the Bible says. He was righteous in God's eyes, not man's, in God's eyes, carefully to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. Why do I read that? Here's my question. If we're priests, is that what people say about you? Is that what people say about you at work? Is that what your family says about you at home? Is that what your friends say about you in the school hallways? He's a faithful priest. She's a faithful priest. That's what they should say because the Bible says that's what God wants everybody to say about his kids. Zechariah was a faithful priest. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 4, it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. Do you know what faithfulness is? It means you practice what you preach. It means if you say you're a follower of Jesus, you act like a follower of Jesus. It means that you know it's not just lip service, it's also life service. Are you a faithful priest? Back to our story. Look at verses 8 through 12. So one day, Zechariah was serving God in the temple. Here's the story I told you earlier. For his order was on duty that week. As was the custom of the priest, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. The once-in-a-lifetime moment. 
While the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. Picture this. He's in the Holy of Holies. God hasn't spoken for 400 years. The priests have been waiting for this moment. But his response is really weird. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. He's shaken. That blows my mind, and it brings me to point number two. How quickly Zechariah moved from being faithful to now being fearful and doubtful. And maybe therein lies our problem. And, and before you jump to conclusions and think he just saw a ghost, are you kidding me? He didn't see a ghost. He saw an angel. By the way, the angel's name was Gabriel. He wasn't any angel. And we just noted that the Bible says that Zechariah was righteous. He just trusted God always. So why the fear? And the first thing the angel says is, do you know what it is? Do not be afraid. It's not like the angel went, boo, you know what I mean? I mean, it's crazy. The first thing he says is, I understand, but don't be afraid. But he chooses to be afraid and doubtful. Again, that's maybe our problem because the Bible says that God's perfect love drives out all fear. And the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. That person, watch this, should know they will receive nothing from the Lord. And yet how many of us get fearful and doubtful? Uh, finish this old adage. Would, would you finish it? What you see is... It's true. What you see is what you get. Because what you see is what you choose to believe. Well, let me help you with it. There's a movie out called Santa Claus with Tim Allen. It's an old movie. I love Tim Allen. And, and, and I understand it's, it's a fictional thing of Santa Claus and all of that. And, and, uh, but, but I love movies. And I love this movie because there's so many great moments in it. And there's a moment in it. You know, if you don't know the movie, basically what happens is, is Tim Allen's inside his house one night and, and Santa Claus is up on the roof and, and, and making noise and he comes out and looks up there and here's this dude in the red coat and red, you know, up there in a sleigh with reindeer and, and he says something and Santa slips and falls down and hits the ground and he dies and he just kind of disappears. Well, Tim can't get back into his house and he's cold so he puts the suit on and the moment he puts the suit on, he becomes the new Santa. Well, he didn't believe it. And it's sort of a hilarious comedy as walking through this. Well, he finally gets to go to the North Pole. And he's walking around with this little tiny girl who's an old elf. And he looks around and he looks at her and he says, I see it, but I don't believe it. And I think that's the problem. <laughs> Pastor, I read it, I just don't believe it. I'm going to tell you why that is here in a moment. What you see is what you get. And that little elf says this. Seeing isn't believing. Believing is seeing. According to your faith, it shall be done. Not according to your fear. 
what you see is what you get. Let me say it this way. When you face the unexplainable and the difficult, what do you see? When you encounter adversities, what do you see? When you face a setback, what do you see? Do you see the mess or do you see God writing your message? Do you see the trial or do you experience God's triumph? Do you play the victim or do you walk in victory? Are you overcome with the test and you don't even realize God's writing your testimony? It's pretty obviously that even though you've got this incredible, faithful, obedient priest, everything he's been waiting for, longing for, that God would speak, and the angel, the head angel, shows up. And he's full of fear. He's full of doubt. What you see is what you get. I say that to be true because Jesus said, the eye is the lamp of the body. Your eyes are bad, your whole body's bad. Church, listen. Anytime, every time, you let fear and doubt into your heart, you will never hear the voice of God. The Bible says it's faith that pleases God. It's according to your faith, not your fear. So I'll let you off the hook. Ready for this? I understand that fear and doubt are a part of this life, but I have to add this, but it is never part of his plan for your life. The Grinch wants to steal your Christmas. I'll help you with the eye thing. Look at the screen and you, how many see the old lady? Come on, put it up. How many see the old lady? How many see the beautiful little girl? <laughs> How many have no idea what they're looking at? <laughs> okay, right? How about this one? How many see the saxophone player? How many see the little girl? How many, again, don't see anything? <laughs> All right. I'm not going to get into some psychological moment of what you see determines something in your life. I'm just simply saying this. Isn't it interesting how incredible this eye is? Some of you, the first thing you saw was the little girl. Some of you, the first thing you saw was the old lady. And some of you still trying to figure out what you're looking at. <laughs> what you see is what you get. The eye is the lamp of the body. And probably why Paul wrote these words, we fix our eyes. Not on what we see. We fix our eyes on what is unseen. For what we see is temporary. <laughs> You see debt, God sees a breakthrough. You see a messed up marriage and God says, let me put a message in it, it'll blow your mind. Amen. You gotta change your eyesight. You gotta see and ask God to take you into his world. Fear and doubt. Fear and doubt. And for a moment, that's where the faithful priest was. He was in fear and doubt, but here's the good news. Only for a moment. That's why the Bible says you take those thoughts captive. When you have fear, all you're doing is listening to a lie of the Grinch. He wants to seek to devour, to destroy your life. And he puts lies in there. And then he creates doubt. 
And I've heard it. I see it. I watch it. And he slowly takes away what Christmas was all about. Not a holiday, but a holy day that transforms everything. We need to learn from Zechariah, but how many people stop right there? You might be thinking, what's going on? I don't even know the story of Zechariah. I'm going to help you, and I'm going to bring the pieces together. Look at verses 18 through 22. Zechariah asked the angel, here comes the fear, here comes the doubt. How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man. My wife is well along in years. Now, this is a brilliant man for a moment. Notice he says, I'm old, but he doesn't say his wife's old. Don't you love that? Okay, that's a smart man. He didn't lose it all. But what are we talking about? Zacharias and Elizabeth have been waiting all their lives to have a child. They're old now. They're well along years, well past the moment of being parents. But you need to hear this, church. When God says something, he always keeps his word. And here's where I'm struggling in this story. He's a priest. He knows the word. He's taught the word. How many times has he preached and taught and read the story of Abraham and Sarah? They were old. When God said, hey, you're going to be pregnant. He knows the story. He knows the promises. But to know and not know is a big difference. If you miss that, look at the stage. To know but not know is a big difference. To say but not walk is a big difference. He knows the story. And yet he says, I'm an old man. My wife is well along in years. Because the angel says, your wife's pregnant. And the angel says, I'm Gabriel. I'm Gabriel, I'm standing in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. But now you will be silent and not able to speak until this day happens because you didn't believe my words. Which will come true at their appointed time. They always come true at God's time. Meanwhile, the people are waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. You might think, what, what's that all about? Well, see, you need to know back then, I still think it's true today, and we need to get back to an incredible reverence for a holy God. Because back then, when Zechariah went in, he had a rope tied around his ankle, had bells on it. You say, why would they do that? Because when you went into the temple and you went to offer a sacrifice as a priest, you better have your heart right. Because it was a very common thing that if a priest wasn't, he died. And you never went in to get the body. You pulled it out. When the bell stops ringing, dude's dead. And they're starting to wonder. We hear the bell, but he ain't coming out. <laughs> but when he came out, this is the good news. When he came out, he could not speak and something's going to happen that I want us to learn in this moment when it comes to the Grinch. When he came out, he could not speak. Because he didn't believe, because he had doubt and fear. And I just want to say this, folks. You need to hear this very clearly. There is consequence to sin. 
The cross removes the sin. The cross doesn't necessarily take away the consequence. And I think a lot of people come to Christ because they make all these bad choices, but then they come to Christ and say, oh, great God, but now we don't want to have to face the music. And I know Christians who said that. Well, I prayed and God didn't take it away. Oh, my goodness. There's consequence. You decided to have sex outside of marriage. She's pregnant. You can pray all you want. The baby's coming. He can remove the sin and the guilt of it. The baby's still coming. Now we got to decide we're going to step up and be a man and a mom. Because the baby's still a gift. See, those are the things that we have to learn when it comes to God. But here's the good news. Because of the cross, despite the consequence, you'll never walk it alone. And then the Bible says, I can take all things and use it for the good. It's an amazing thing about God, what he can do. But you've got to trust. But I know this about Zechariah. See, the Bible says when he came out, he could not speak. And if there's one problem going on in the world today, it's this. People walk in faithfulness, but then they make this mistake, or they're in this moment, and they experience fear and doubt, and then they stay there. And then they go silent. Even though he was silent, he still communicated the praises of God. What he's saying is this. I've been faithful, and God, I'm sorry I doubted. And I will own that. And even though I have this handicap now, I'm still going to praise your name. I'm still going to shout for joy. I'm still going to let the world know. Do you know why I know that? He didn't fall to the ground and play victim. Poor me. He recognized what he shouldn't have done. He took the thought captive. And the Bible says, but they realized he had seen a vision. How would they know that? Because he didn't let his silence remain silent. For he kept making signs of them, but remained unable to speak. Church, say this. We all fall short. Say this. God never does. God always keeps his word. Do you see what I'm saying? We can trust it. The Bible says in Isaiah 42, a broken reed he will not break. And a dimly burning wick he will never extinguish. You may feel like you're at the end of your rope, but you're never at the end of God's hope. Ever. You just got to decide. Am I going to stay in fear? Or here's number three. He becomes a favored priest. He moves from faithful to fearful. But he takes those thoughts captive. He doesn't let that define him. And he experienced the favor of God. Church, listen to this. I read about a member of parliament in British, in Britain, they were in a break, and he was standing in the lobby when a tall, distinguished-looking old man came up and begged for a moment of his time. He said, sure, I have a little window. Go ahead, sir. The man began to unfold a very sad, painful story. Here's what he said. I worked hard all my life, and I had amassed a large fortune. But some of my relatives stole it and told enough lies that it put me in a mental hospital. Today's my first day out, sir. I put the entire facts in this document, and I simply ask that you study it and communicate with me at your leisure. My phone number is on the documents. 
Thank you, sir. Good day. Moved by the man's story, the member of parliament took the papers, shook his hand, and promised he would do everything he could in his power to try to turn back the time. He then turned to leave when he felt this huge kick on the seat of his pants. He turned around and the old man said, don't forget. And you say, why do I say that? I can't speak for you, but I think sometimes in my life, I came to the altar and I promised to be faithful. I went out into the real world and I got altered. <laughs> and then I got fearful and doubtful and the question is, Will I make that right with God? Because here's something you need to know about the favor of God. The favor of God does not fall upon a life because you're perfect. The favor of God falls because he is. And when you pick up and own your life and put those broken pieces in the hands of God, the favor will fall. You just got to decide. Am I going to live a lie in fear? In doubt, or am I going to get right with God and experience the favor? I'm going to get up and keep walking because the world needs to hear God's people shouting hallelujah, not when they're on the mountain, but when they're walking through the darkest of times, I am going to shout the name of Jesus. That's what the world needs. That's what the world needs. That's what the world needs. What if Mary, talk about a pattern, Remember what the angel said to Zechariah? Do not be afraid. Later on, the same angel would come and say to Mary, do not be afraid. God is with you. Remember what the angel said to the shepherds? Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy. What if Mary would have said, but I'm just a teenage little homeless girl. What if the shepherds would have said, we're just lowly on the end of the totem pole, shepherds. We can always make the excuse, you got to decide who you're going to let talk into your life. God says, do not be afraid. I'm the Lord, your God. Wherever you're at, I'll be with you. You can trust my promises. They will never, ever wrong you. You hold these truths. I'm the strong tower. I'm the mighty one. How about you? Can I tell you what Philippians 1 says? Paul says, I'm certain of this. The one who is faithful will always finish. He will always complete what he began in me. God will never, ever fail you. He never will. Zechariah figured it out. I'll say it again. For a moment in my life, can fear and doubt be a part? Yep. But I'm not going to let them define me. Because they might be a part of this life, but they're not a part of his plan and will for my life. I will go through the valley of the shadow of death, but I what will not fear, for thou art with me. He was a faithful priest that turned to a fearful one, but he didn't stay there. And because of that, he became a favored one. And that's my prayer for you. Father God, sometimes we need a kick in our pants. Some are probably wondering, who is this Zechariah? Well, in my prayer, let me just say this, church. He would leave the temple favored of God. His wife would give birth to a son. His name was John the Baptist. 
And John the Baptist would point everybody to Jesus. Just the way you and I are to do. Point everybody to Jesus. God, I know that my heart longs to be faithful. Something I work on, but I also know that I get fearful, I get doubtful. But I can't let them define me, and we can't, none of us either. It's time to walk in the favor of God. That the Grinch isn't going to steal Christmas. The Grinch isn't going to speak into our lives. God is going to. We're not going to let that and Him ever steal Christmas. The Lord has come. God, Emmanuel, with us. And you said, you won't forsake us. You won't abandon us. You won't leave us. That we're to take courage. <laughs> we're to fear not. I am the Lord your God. God, I pray that's what people are saying right now. You're so good. You're so good. Well, thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past messages. And if you like what you're hearing, consider rating it and even sharing it with your friends. It helps so much. You know, you can click the share button, take a screenshot and share it on your social stories and tag us at Celebrate Church. For more content from Celebrate and to connect with us, go to celebrate.church. We love you and we believe in you. God bless.